want to share with you today about being tested by the Word. Being tested by the Word. And I want to read a short passage from Psalm 105. And it's talking about uh, Joseph uh, in Egypt. You remember the story of Joseph as a young man about um, 17. God began giving him visions and dreams. And it concerned his future and the future of his family. And he was going to actually live out the promise of Abraham that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so he received that vision and dream when he was 17. He, like many people, grew up in a dysfunctional family. These were the chosen people, the family of God, and God was revealing them, himself to them in ways that he had not done to anyone else in the world. But they were a dysfunctional family. So he had ten older brothers, all of whom hated him. And they hated him so much they thought about killing him. And it wasn't just talk. Uh, they were willing to do it. And so they divide, decided to, to do a, a compromise. I think they thought it would give him more pain. They sold him as a slave and told his father that he was dead. And so he was a, sold into a slave to a caravan that was heading down to Egypt and he became a slave in Egypt. And, um, you know, what about the promises? What about the dreams and the visions? Were they from God or was it just wishful thinking? Uh, dreams of an arrogant young man. <laughs> well, you think, well, if you're a slave, can't get a whole lot worse. Well, it did. <laughs> he's accused of a crime which he hadn't committed, and he ends up in prison, and he's there for many years. And so I can imagine Joseph in prison and uh, the thoughts in his mind. Uh, those were foolish dreams when I was young. And yet, God began to act and he became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And it happened overnight. Now, what eventually happened was those dreams, every one of them, were fulfilled. It took 22 years before they began to be fulfilled. And altogether, at the end of the day, it was another, it, it was 40 years long time to wait for dreams. But the passage in Psalm 105 says this, When God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said come to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. So what was going on during these years of suffering and hardship, years of affliction and pain, um, were years of despair and at times I'm sure hopelessness? And weakness. Well, the psalmist tells us the Lord tested him with his word. Now, that's not a new thing. Every time God speaks to us, that word 
tests us. It was true from the very beginning. Uh, God created Adam and Eve. He made them in his image and likeness and put them in a perfect environment. They themselves were perfect. And then he gave them his word, didn't he? He gave them very positive commands. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, take dominion of it. The world is yours. Take it. Develop it. Make it into something that's beautiful and pleasing to the Lord. And then he said, got one negative command. All the trees in this garden, they're beautiful. All of them are good for food. There's one tree I don't want you to eat of. And that was the word that tested Adam and Eve. Created an image and likeness of God with freedom of choice. And it's that we can choose to love God. That means if we have a choice, there is an ability or an opportunity to say no. Otherwise, there would be no choice. It'd be like you or I uh, putting information into a computer. All it does is give back what you put in. But he wanted people that were free to choose to love him like he chooses to love us. People that could correspond to him and relate. And so he puts this word there to give him a choice. And that's what he did with Joseph. It was the word of God. And when you're in chains and when you're in prison and when you're discouraged and when no one knows that you live except the people right around you and they don't care are we going to believe the word of God when it doesn't seem like there's any possibility that those dreams could ever be fulfilled is it the word of God or is it not and will we trust him so the word for testing here literally means to smelt, to refine, or to test. You smelt iron by putting it into the fire and then beating it. <laughs> Purging out the impurities. Beating out the things that are not strong. Daniel, in chapter 12, verse 10, God tells him that many will be refined by suffering. And so if you ask the metal as you were beating it or putting it in the fire and melting it, if that was a pleasant experience, I'm sure the metal would say, no, it's not. Not much fun here. It hurts. So the positive thing we find in the Gospel of John, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld His glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now John tells us that that word of God that tests us is the same word by which God created the universe. By the word of the Lord, things were created. And book of Revelation tells us it's through his word that this world will be destroyed. And when Jesus comes back to wage war, he wages war with the words of his mouth. And so we are tested by God's word. The Word became flesh. Now that's a very important thing for us to understand. When the New Testament talks about us fighting against the flesh, the flesh is opposed to the Spirit, that's the Word it says Jesus became. He became flesh. Just like your flesh, just like mine, with all of its weaknesses, with all of its frailties. He was without sin, but His flesh was like yours and mine. 
which means he was open to temptation. Now that's an awesome thought. Jesus, Son of God, being open to temptation. Now the New Testament tells us this repeatedly. After his baptism, he's driven by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, Hebrews says that he was like us in everything. He was temptation, tempted in every way like us, except he didn't give in. He, he was without sin, but the temptation was there. And if it was to be a temptation, it had to be real. So when he was out in the wilderness for the 40 days, he was hungry. Uh, not just, I feel like I need some munchies, you know. It's not that. I mean, he was at the verge of starving to death. And it's a painful thing. I don't know that from experience, you understand. But it's, it's a painful thing. And so he went through those things. It's his flesh. Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about it in verse 3. And he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he has not already done on our behalf. And then he died on the cross, rose from the dead, sent his Holy Spirit to make it possible for us to walk as he walked in this world. The world Jesus lived in was the same world that you and I live in. It was sinful, it was violent, it was corrupt, it was decadent, it was filled with selfish ambition and pride and arrogance and manipulation. It was the same world that you and I face. And he walked it as a sinless man. And his word and his life tests us. So, Hebrews 2, verse 14. And these are just a couple of examples. Since the children, that's you and me, share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation or substitute for our sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." And so it goes even further than that. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sakes, God made him, Jesus, 
to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 5, uh, Galatians 3, 13 and 14 talks about how Christ became a curse for us to redeem those of us who are under the curse to set us free. And so it's very important to understand that as Jesus walked this life, he walked it in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was like you and me, subject to pain, subject to temptation, subject to suffering and weakness. And so he himself was tested by the word. Hebrews tells us that even though he, were, he was the son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. That's what suffering is for. It's to teach us obedience. It's to teach us to trust God even when we don't feel like it. Because it's through the weakness of the flesh that we enter into sin, isn't it? And we make choices. So in Matthew chapter 3, he's going to talk about uh, the baptism of Jesus. And... What that means is that God had spoken through John the Baptist and John knew that he was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. He knew the Son of God was coming. He had the same vision that Simeon had seen when Simeon was an old man and Jesus was just a couple of months old. Simeon says, this is the salvation of Israel. This is the light for the Gentiles. And he is coming so that the hearts of many people would be revealed. And he's going to be a sign that's spoken against. He's spoken against because he calls us to accountability. That's what the Word of God does. That's the test. We become accountable for knowing God. So we were created in his image and likeness. And we have corrupted it and polluted it and warped it. And we are accountable for that. So Ecclesiastes asks the question, can what is created twisted, warped, be made straight? Well, that would be pretty hard. But we weren't created that way, were we? We were created straight to start with. We are the ones who corrupted and twisted. But God is the one who can bring us back to straightness and correctness. So John comes and he says, the one who comes after me, I'm not even worthy to bend down and untie his sandals. I baptize with water. The one after me, he is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So what baptism was John's baptism? Do you remember? What was he baptizing people for? What did it mean? What was his baptism about? It was repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's what it was. So when you come to be baptized, you're saying, I'm a sinner. I'm asking God to cleanse me and forgive me. And it's through this baptism that I want the world to know that there's a difference in my heart and I will not be the same person that I was. So the baptism actually represents death, doesn't it? Baptism of repentance is a baptism of death. Dying to the flesh. Now, as Christians, 
how are we living? Romans 8 says, if we live according to the flesh, we're going to die. If we live according to the Spirit, that leads to eternal life. As Christians, baptized, born-again Christians, how are we living? According to the flesh or according to the Spirit? So Jesus comes and chapter 3 of Matthew Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him John would have prevented him saying I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me and Jesus answered him let it be so now for this is it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness remember what Paul was saying in Romans that the righteous of the law might be fulfilled and Jesus is coming he's identifying himself with sinners although he is sinless himself and this is a characteristic of intercessors throughout the scripture you read the great prayers of intercession Abraham or, or um, Daniel or Ezra or Nehemiah these men uh, Paul later on I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my kinsmen my my brother's sake uh, these men confessing sins of their nation as if they are their own although these men had not sinned in those ways so Jesus is identifying himself with us and so then it says that John consented and when Jesus was baptized immediately he went up from the water Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Word testifying to the Word. And it's a test, isn't it? So Jesus, coming up out of the water, representing resurrection out of the life, out of death, <clears throat> him beginning to, to start his public ministry, part of Epiphany, the shining forth of the Word of God into the darkness, Jesus is going to begin that actively from this point on. And it's interesting that um, the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus in the form of a dove, but the prophecy from John the Baptist was Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire and what happened at Pentecost? Holy Spirit comes. Jesus said, wait there until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when he came, he came with fire. Didn't he? A dove for Jesus. There's no sin there. And so he comes with peace and promise and hope. For the disciples in the upper room and for us, he comes with fire to cleanse and purge, uh, to test us, to fill us. So he cleanses us by the power of the Holy Spirit, applying the blood of Christ to us, and then the Holy Spirit can move into our lives. He can't before because we're full of sin and we would die. So what happens when, after you're full of the Holy Spirit, that you move back into the life of sin? You're stepping out of the light and into the darkness. 
And that's a choice that you can make. And we make it every day by our lifestyles and by the way that we walk and the way that we treat others, um, the way we conduct business, the way that we relate to people around us, and not just the nice ones. And so Jesus is coming in the flesh to become like us in order to make us like him. We'll talk about it a little more another time, but in Luke 12:49, Jesus said he came to cast fire on the earth and he desired that it had already been kindled. And he said, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So he's talking now about another baptism, a baptism of death, that he is looking, uh, it's going to be a literal death this time, so that the Holy Spirit is able to come upon us. So when Jesus is baptized, he shows us the way. That's one of the things he told the disciples, that they were to preach the kingdom forgiveness of sins and that they were to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Paul talks about what this means in chapter 6 of Romans starting with verse 3. Well, let me back up to chapter 5, verse 20. The law came to increase the trespass but where sin increased Grace abounded all the more. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What does grace look like? You know, people say, well, the grace of God be with you. (laughs) Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? The grace of God is Jesus dying on the cross and rising again and sending His Holy Spirit. That's what grace is. So when sin abounded, then the grace of God in Christ, Jesus dying, becoming sin for us, taking that sin upon Himself, that you and I might live the righteousness of God and walk in newness of life. So many of us have been born again into a new life, but we're wanting to live the old one. And you cannot do that. The oldness of life will kill you. And you cannot walk with the Lord in the old things of the old life. The Word of God tests us. It makes us make a decision. And that's not just for people who don't know the Lord, especially for those of us who do. Because we know better. And we have tasted and experienced that grace of God in our life. How can we live, Paul says, in sin any longer if we've been set free. Why would anybody want to go back to the old ways? We forget who we are. So he says, just as sin reigned in death, it ruled our life. Grace also might rule through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And I want each of us to ask that of ourselves personally this morning. Am I willing to walk in sin thinking that God's grace will be even greater to me? 
That's a lie. Paul's response, by no means. Or if you're reading King James, God forbid. (laughs) How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's what it's about. Dying to self so that we can now live in the newness of the Spirit and not be bound by the old habits, the old addictions, the old thought patterns, the old attitudes anymore. Set free. So let's walk in the freedom that He's given to us. Freedom's a big word that people banter around, always in politics and social and cultural stuff. They always talk a lot about freedom. What they mean, that freedom leads to death and it's bondage. And it is slavery. And it will control you and destroy you. And we've been set free from those things. So why not walk in freedom? So Joseph, now you're the second most important man in the world, that part of the world at the time. Where are you going to live? Oh, I I think I'll go back down to my cell. Down there in the dungeon. Uh, put on the old prison clothes, you know, hang out with the guys. A lot of us do that in our Christian life, don't we? Nothing's changed. Uh, We think we're buying heaven insurance. (laughs) But insurance only comes into effect when you're dead. So if you've died to self through the blood of Christ, been baptized to proclaim that to the world, then you should be alive. And then you can receive the inheritance that comes with that. But if you're still walking around in death, uh, no inheritance. So Paul continues, Do you not know We've been baptized into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into his death. We were buried together with him by baptism in death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So you're in bondage. You've been beaten every day. You're in a terrible wreck. Your health is shot and ruined. You're sitting down here in prison. You've got shackles on your arms, shackles on your feet. The door's locked. There's guards outside. And the Lord comes and sets you free. The guard steps aside. The doors come open. The shackles fall off. They're free. And he says, you don't have to stay in this dark, dank dungeon anymore. Come out and walk into the light. And we're sitting here as Christians and we're saying, I'm kind of used to this. I think I'll stay. One who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death 
no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So the word of God comes to test us. Are we going to go by what God says or by what I feel? What God wants or what I want? That's the choice. That's the test that he is testing us. Is God's word or true or not? Have you been set free or have you not? If you've been set free, why live like a slave? You're free to walk in newness of life. And people look at your life. You may say, I'm free, I'm free, but if you've got the shackles on, everybody knows, no, you're still a slave. It doesn't matter what you say. They see your life and they say, no, nah, the shackles are still there. You're a slave just like the rest of us. It takes more than just saying we're free to be free, doesn't it? Let not sin reign in your mortal body. Let it not rule. Is Jesus Lord or is he not? If he's Lord, then that means he's ruling. There's not two thrones. There's only one. Do not present your members, your body, as sins, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God, to those who have given, been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but you're under the grace. You're under the blood of Jesus. And we're free. Under the blood of Jesus. This is what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, in light of God's grace, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Make your members instruments of righteousness instead of instruments of sin. Uh, lifestyle, how we live, how we live our life. And so that's what Jesus came to do. So when Jesus comes up out of the water, out of the baptism, the voice of God proclaims in an audible voice, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. When Christ comes into your heart as Lord and Savior, when you witness the same before people publicly, you're baptized and you come up out of the water, that's what God says about you. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. I'm well pleased with you. So what happens in your life is exactly the same thing that happened in Jesus' life. Immediately, Mark says, immediately the Spirit drove him, compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And you lead those temptations if you are really God's son. He said it there. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, that voice comes back, doesn't it? Scribes and the Pharisees gloating over his death. 
If you're the son of God, come down. If. If you are. Now what happens in your life and mine? You made a decision for Christ. And God has come in and there's been a change in your heart. You know it. Next day, here's the temptations. All the old habits. All the old friends. All the old enticements. All the old feelings. If you are a child of God. And we face that every day. As Jesus did every day. If you are a child of God, what are you doing here? You know, sometimes those are good questions. <clears throat> Tested by the Word of God. Garden of Eden. Satan comes. He doesn't make Adam and Eve do anything. He challenges God's Word. And so they're being tested by the Word of God. They knew the Word of God. They understood the Word of God. They knew the consequences of the Word of God. Just like you and just like me. Just like Joseph in the prison. God promised. I'm in this prison. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Looks like I'm going to die in this prison. But God promised At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus confronted Mary and Martha. And he asked them to roll away the stone. He said, I am the, way, the resurrection of the life. I am the resurrection. He who believes in me will never die. And he looked at Martha, who was grieving for her brother, who had died four days earlier in the tomb. And he asked the question, do you believe this? Tested by God's word. It's a question that you and I face, isn't it? And we have to answer. Do we believe God's word? And so our baptism, after the baptism, the word of God was put to the test for Jesus. And it puts to the test for you and I. And the test is this. Will you live by the flesh for self or by the spirit to God? for which you were created. And this is what Paul's talking about there in Romans. And this is the baptism that Jesus came to baptize us with, the Holy Spirit and fire, not only to cleanse, but to keep burning within our life to burn up the rest of the dross that's in us. Is the fire of God burning in your heart? When you accepted Christ, it was there, and you know it was there, and you knew it was there. Is it still burning? Now, as you read through the book of Acts, there were subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit. Once, it wasn't a once-off thing. As they walked with the Lord, as they were challenged, as they were being persecuted, they came together in the right spirit, together in one accord, and they're praying for forgiveness and for strength and courage to, to proclaim the gospel again, and the Holy Spirit fills them again. It happened several times in the book of Acts. So... It would be like, okay, I've got this gallon container and I fill it to overflowing. And I don't even have to empty it. I can just set it there and say you've been a Christian for 30 years. You come back, is the same amount of water in that jug? Nobody's emptied it? Is the same amount of water in there? No. It's not. 
needs to be filled again. And some of us as Christians need to remember we've been dead to sin and we don't have to live this sinful lifestyle anymore. It's a choice that we make and everybody who looks at our life knows the choice that we've made. They can see the shackles if they're still there. And the only one that we're fooling is self. Trying to make ourselves feel good by proclaiming something that we are not living and it's a lie. You cannot live a lie and please God. So Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and he came to set us free and he became sin on your behalf and mine so that we could be set free and walk in newness of life. So as we come to communion this morning, I want to read a passage from John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, verse 47 is where we're going. Jesus cried out, starting with verse 44, and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not receive my words, has a judge. Listen carefully. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. We are tested by the word. And that word is, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Now we know that with our minds. We've been taught that all of our lives if you're a Christian. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Do you believe it? That's the word that's testing you and me today in our lifestyles, in our choices, in the way that we live our life on a daily basis. New creation, Jesus died for it. You witnessed to it at uh, your baptism. Is it true? People around you know. Um, I used to, uh, was trained in the old holiness churches. And sometimes they, uh, they talked about entire sanctification where they didn't sin anymore. And I've heard men stand up and say, the Lord sanctified me 30 years ago and I've never sinned since. And even as a fairly new believer, I wanted to say, I would like to speak to your wife, your children, your employer, your employees, and see if that's true. For some, it may have been. I knew a couple of guys, if they told me that, I would have believed them. Jesus died to make it a reality in our lives. Set free, really free, genuinely free. If the Son sets you free, you're truly free. 
We don't have to live in the old bondages anymore. And that's what the communion is all about. Jesus did this for us. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples. He broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, it's broken for you. It's to break that bondage in your life and mine that we can have his life. And after supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, this cup is a new covenant, a new relationship to God. In my blood, it's shed for you and for many. It's for forgiveness and cleansing. It's to set us free. Salvation means that we've been set free from the curse of death because Jesus has taken that curse upon himself so that we might walk in his new life. He becomes what you and I are that we might become what he is. Jesus is what you and I are supposed to be. Image of God created in that way. And Jesus died to restore that image. So he invites us to come with all of our failures, the men in that upper room, every one of them was going to deny, betray, run away, every one of them. And he said, it's broken for you, for broken people like us, to give us the ability to walk in new life, to impart to us his life in place of our old ruined one. And he says, you can go forth as new people, new creation. So he invites us to come. So will those serving communion please come forward?